Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I am Sam. I'm, wait, I'm Miranda. That's who I am. I'm Miranda. I'm not Sam. You're still Miranda. I'm still Miranda. I'm here. (laughs) Sam's still traveling. Sam is out traveling in beautiful places. And so I am trying to fill his very big shoes and this really comfy chair. And it's a it's a hard job, but I'm gonna try well, to maintain. I'm, I'm glad you're here. You you did a great job last week, <laughs> thank and I'm you. depending on you to oh, do another don't good one. Say that. That's too much pressure. But thank you for having me again. So, have you had a good week? Yes. I I was a, a real obsessive this weekend. Yeah. So I'm an artist, you know. So mm-hmm. I was working on a canvas, and I painted for twelve hours. Day before yesterday. That sounds amazing. Well, <laughs> I guess, but it's, I don't know if it was good or not because I felt a little, I mean, I felt a little crazy mm-hmm. at the end of it. Like I closed my eyes and I could, I was painting all these blades of grass and mm. leaves and things and I could see all those things when I closed my eyes. And it was just from, from going into it so deep. But I mean, I guess it's a good obsession. Oh, compared God, yeah. to uh, alcohol was, was my main obsession for many mm-hmm. years, many, many years. Mm-hmm. But it's good to have other obsessions. But, you know, it's weird how things will take over and yeah. I'll just completely go into it. And yeah. there's like no, it's like there's no bottom to it. Yeah. I feel the same way about true crime podcasts. <laughs> I am obsessed to the hilt. Again, a healthy obsession, um, healthier than whiskey. But yes, it's like there's there's no ending to the depths of the serial killers out there. And I must know more. Right. <laughs> I must know more, even to the point where I should probably take off my headphones and go to sleep. So I'm with you. Finding those healthy obsessions, even if they exhaust you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but, you know, there's good obsessions. Yeah. And exercise is definitely a good obsession. I really need to be obsessed about that. Well, I... I can. I have a hard time getting obsessed with that, but I, I know people in recovery who do. Mm-hmm. But you know, my my wife got into uh, was was doing yoga and was telling me how much she was enjoying it, getting out of it. And I was thinking, well, this would be a good thing for us to do together. So maybe I I should do that. And I said, well, maybe I should come with you and, and join you. She said, I don't mm-hmm. think so because you're going to get obsessed with it, mm-hmm. and then. There's all this stuff to buy and all these things, and you're just going to go so far into it that I, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. She was saying, back off, leave this one for me. Yeah, this is mine. This yeah. is my. See, that's funny because I, I teach yoga, and I've tried to get my husband to go with me, and he refuses to do so because he doesn't think he'll be any good at it. I mean, he's an alcoholic too, so sometimes yeah. we don't want to do things we don't think we're going to be good at. Perfectionist. Well, Perfectionist. It, there may be that, but you know, there may be that they do want some space to have oh, a, your own interest. Good. Oh, yeah. I mean, both of them are possible, and then there's also the possibility that as soon as he does it, he would become 
obsessed, obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I, I've seen him do Zumba. Does he have obsessions? <laughs> <laughs> well, I sat there last night and watched him work on a fly fishing reel for like, or, or a netting, not a reel, because you don't have a reel. It's like a netting that you have when you're fly fishing, his newest obsession, for like okay. an hour. That lit up for him. An hour, honestly. yeah. He has his own woodworking that he's pretty obsessed with. It helps him get out of his self and... You know, it's nice, but yeah, he can definitely. Well, we <laughs> all do. Obsessed. And he's an alcoholic. He is an alcoholic. Yeah, so okay. A sober alcoholic. So, <laughs> sober alcoholic. Yeah, sober alcoholic. He's been sober for for eight years. Yeah. So these obsessions happen, and we have a guest. We do. Uh, I'm Jackie. Jackie, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Do you have any obsessions? Oh yeah, I have an obsessions. I have all kinds of obsessions. How? Do, what form does it take in recovery? Um, well, uh, obsessions Can help you pull in a little closer. Absolutely. Here. Obsessions help me feel things. I would say that, uh, my current obsession is game of Thrones. Don't, huh? don't, don't ruin any. Endings. That makes you feel things. Oh yeah. Just, just any obsession. If I'm obsessed, if I obsess about something and I act on it, then I'm feeling something 100%. Like emotionally involved. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I feel that hard. I got obsessed with game of Thrones too. It's great. Oh yeah. I really liked it. A lot of people didn't like the end of it. I don't. I, I thought the crazy. end of it was fine, but that's yeah. outside issues. It was fine. I'm, Stop de- talking I'm determined about it. to love it. One, one thing's for sure. It is fun. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah. It is so good. What's another obsession? Um, I mean, I did get obsessed with exercising for a while, but I, I beg to differ that just uniformed exercising is a healthy obsession. I mean, it can be dangerous as well. Um, I can kick myself in the ass for mm-hmm. not exercising, which can one bad decision always leads to another bad decision. Um, but but I you mean, can overdo it. Oh yeah. I mean, if you hurt yourself, I mean, I was, I was running for like 11 days straight, you know, pulled something in my hamstring, ran again and, and then couldn't run again for another week or something like that. And, you know, just, just obsessed to get that mile time, you know, 15 seconds lower, whatever it may be. And yeah, that's unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have to keep an eye on it because, Bill says in the big book, there's somewhere he, he doesn't use that we're obsessive. He says, alcoholics are enthusiasts. Yeah. And <laughs> Bill would we, say that. We also run from one extreme to the next. 100%. There is very little middle ground. And, and I'll, that's why I like hanging out with alcoholics because I've always liked to hang out with alcoholics. I used to like to hang out with them because they knew how to drink. Mm-hmm. But now I like hanging out with them because all the alcoholics are just full of, I don't know, they've got this energy. I, that, I feel that way about alcoholics that are not sober. I mean, well, that's what oh, I mean. I mean, yeah. I mean, like when I'm when I'm when I'm oh, around people, yeah. When I'm around people who are drinking, um, I mean, you know, this might not be the healthiest thing in the world, but I mean, I feel like when somebody starts to get a buzz, they are finally on my level. That's what I feel like. So it's actually been a recent thing. <laughs> I do. It's been, it's been a, a recent They're, thing. I've been loving hanging out with some drunks, and it's fun. You know they what I mean? They catch up to me. <laughs> exactly. That's why I never needed to drink, because I surpassed the level that everybody else gets on when they drink. Mm. You know what I mean? Damn. That sounds very dangerous to me. It is. Hanging out with people who are drinking. It is. And getting off on their energy level. Well, I got obsessed with AA, I got obsessed with AA meetings in particular, and that's that's not the definition of AA meetings or not. And I had to learn that the hard way. Um, I I was going to 
all last year, two, three meetings a day. And, and you know, and I'm not a newcomer. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a newcomer. You know, well, I have, when did you get sober? I got sober June 13th, 2016. So I'm not, you know, I don't believe needing to go to three meetings a day. But I'm a feel-good junkie, right? And if a meeting feels good, I want to do another one. But in that same sense, I was neglecting my girlfriend. I was neglecting um, work things. I was neglecting healthy eating habits. I was neglecting, I mean, just, I mean, anything just because I was obsessed with going to another AA meeting and it wasn't to give back. It wasn't to, um, you know, you know, take from or, or feed myself, that kind of thing. It was to be seen. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had to do, I did some work with that boy that was not fun to to recognize because I was sharing in every meeting thinking I knew everything like feeling good like you know like didn't even matter what the topic was if I left that meeting and I shared I was high as hell you yeah. know what I mean oh yeah I've been there with, with yeah it. and it was it was obsessive and and you know AA is practicing these principles in our everyday life that's what I really think so AA is everywhere AA if I'm sitting in a meeting there are so many other things I could be doing that that includes AA, you know what I mean? That that is healthy for me and maybe, you know, helping somebody else, whether they're an alcoholic or not. And I slowed down a little bit and slowed down a little bit too much and now I'm back to find a little happy median. How did you get to the uh, well let me say this. When I first came into AA, I really needed to be obsessed with AA. For sure. Because I was just to how how the hell am I going to stay sober? I mean, I would go crazy if I didn't go to a meeting. So going two or three meetings a day was really important and good for me for two reasons. One, it kept me sane. And two, I needed to change the way that I think. Right. So I had to hear all of it and absorb it and be in it and like let all the the different ways that AA teaches us to deal with the world come in to me. And you also have to go to a lot of meetings because you hear a lot of things that are not AA, and you got to learn mm-hmm. what, what is AA. Correct. What part of what everybody's talking about is AA, and what part of it is just you know stuff that people are bringing from outside into the rooms and things. 100%. And, it's real important at the beginning to, to go to meetings and – I remember sharing that, you know, I feel like I'm becoming obsessed with being sober, and this isn't real life, and my sponsor was going, but you need to do this for a while, Mm -hmm. because we're talking about being, becoming, living a different way, becoming a different person. The person I was drank, and the person I was will drink again, so I've got to change. Right. And that happens by going, that's in all the meetings is where it all is. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, after a long period of time, I know that one thing I was doing was I was going to uh, a noon meeting every day, and I realized it had been two years, and it was really good for me at first. We'd go to the meeting, then we'd go to lunch afterwards. So this would take two hours, and I realized that what I was doing at about two years was I really didn't want to go back to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. It really wasn't about, I mean, I, I, I had it down. I could have gone to lunch and kept it down to half an hour, but I was just sitting around and, you know, stretching it out. Mm-hmm. So I, then I had to start looking at it a different way. Mm-hmm. And then I had obligations with family, too, and, and, like, what part of that is when do I need to go, when do I want to go, and when do, you know, when am I just going because 
I'm getting off on going. Yeah. Right. That sort of thing. You so. can hide out. You can, uh, you know, we were talking last week about, you know, what, what was I doing on my 91st day? You know, 90 meetings in 90 days. Well, the 91st day I went to a meeting. But you can also get to a place, I think I know that I did, where you can hide out. In AA meaning, what does like, that mean? Hide out in AA. So for hiding out in AA means to me is that what you just said. I could use going to a meeting as an excuse not to do something else that I probably need to do, like kind of mm. go to a family function that I don't really feel like having to deal with my family. This is really all the first year, first year and a half, where I was still learning how to be present <laughs> for people, and I was still very, you know, selfish and self-centered. So it was like, and and the friends that stuck around. You know, I'd say, I, I can't go do this. I have to go to a meeting. It's like I'm going to a meeting every day. And I would sometimes hear, well, you went to a meeting yesterday. And it wasn't a matter of you're going to have to do this forever. It was just, can't you find time for your family or for this or for that? Because it was always, I can't do that. I got to go to a meeting. And so, yeah, in the beginning, I was very obsessed. You have to be obsessed. You know, it's almost, I've heard someone say, you almost kind of have to fall in love with AA on some extent. Not completely, but to some yes. extent. But, you know. I could very much go hide out in AA, and by hiding out, I mean ignoring all my other responsibilities because I just don't want to have to deal with them. And that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. So how do you, for somebody new listening to this, what can you say of how to discern that? I mean, honestly, you know, just check your motives and your intentions. I mean, that's that's really where it came. I mean, I, I was starting to not be able to practice, you know, principles before personalities. I wasn't listening to listen i was listening to respond you know see what you know what i could say in the meeting what i could share and and who i could help and that kind of thing but not not in the way that we're supposed to help other people and it's kind of one of those things where, where you just know you know you know i got my license back at 18 months sober i woke up at 6 a.m the the day after i got my license and i was like you know freedom like i mean i i had been <laughs> chilling at the house until 3 p.m until i got on my moped and went to work for for a year and a half at this mm -hmm. point right and and I woke up at 6 a.m. and I was like, you know, what the hell do I get to go do right now? And the first thing that came to mind was AA meeting. You know, mm -hmm. I can go drive. I have never driven myself to an AA meeting all alone. You know what I mean? So, like, this was a cool experience. And Very so I went, yeah. yeah. So I went to this, you know, uh, 8 a.m. meeting that um, was my home group for, for a year. It's kind of the same thing that you were just speaking of, Dawn. So I drove to this meeting and, and I went and it was it was unlike any other meeting, you know, like people cross-talked. It was like they were a family. They were talking to each other. They were, you know, like critiquing each other. But it was all out of love, but it was it was my people. They were talking about drugs. They were cussing. It was oh, this is this was fucking it. So they had they had liquid creamer. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> like so I would go to this meeting. Every this single is really morning. This is a hot brown meeting. Wow. And I would go liquid to this meeting every morning. And, you know, I would, I, I had stopped waiting tables at the time and I was doing this little catering gig where I'd work from like 9.15 to noon. And so I'm done at noon. I can go to two more meetings. You mm. know what I mean? And, and, and I can drive my myself. I can show up. I can do all these things. And it just, it became very obsessive. And I, I, I mean, it, it stopped feeling good, just like things normally do when I get obsessed with it. I don't know if I've ever had a healthy obsession, ever. Mm -hmm. I had, I had gastric bypass surgery when I was... 16 years old. There was medical reasons why I was overweight, but you know, I was an overeater. I would be in the McDonald's, like there was a parking lot behind the McDonald's in Kernersville. I, I remember I would be sneaking cheeseburgers and I would eating them. I was eating them. I was obsessed with doing it. And it was, it was, it was about eating, of course, but it was about 
this secret that I had that I only knew. Mm-hmm. Any, anytime I'm hiding anything, yeah. oh. I, there, I need to be looking at what's going on. 100%, but you, but you don't know that. If anything, it, it mm-hmm. feels good. I mean, I always told people I was running errands. You know what I mean? Fast forward six, whatever years later, I'm, I'm running errands. You know, I'm doing the quotation marks. I'm running errands. And in that same fucking parking lot, I'm sneaking airplane bottles. Mm-hmm. And you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, these are the things that like, it's like my obsessions have always been unhealthy. Always. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. You said when you got sober, it was what? 2016. 2016. Let me ask you this, the question that I ask so yeah. often. What was going on in you inside that made you feel like AA was where you needed to go and that you had to quit drinking? What was going on? <sighs> what happened? Well, yeah. Why did you... I, <laughs> I mean, mean, I had lost control of my liquor consumption, right? I mean, that's that's it. I mean, I, I really am no different than anybody else, even though if you would ask me... When I first came in, if I was different than anybody else, I, oh, fuck yeah. And it wasn't, I'm not as bad as them. It was, I was in my home group on Thursday night's women's meeting. This chick was sharing and she was like, you know, it was the third time that I had blacked out ever. Third time I blacked out and I knew it was time to go to an AA meeting. I was like, what the fuck, dude? Where am I right now? Because all I know is that if I was drinking, which was every single day for the last six years at that point, I was blacking out. I didn't know you could get drunk without blacking out. Maybe maybe like a little brown mm-hmm. out, maybe kind of know some things, you know what I mean? But like, I had no idea that you could drink and remember what the fuck you were doing. You know what I mean? And so like... You always blacked out. Always blacked out. Always. So, you know, but yeah, so I Our mean... Our drinking becomes normal yeah. to us. 100%. I remember, I remember I was a... Uh, my, my mom would always be like, oh, you're such a shaky person. And I would always tell everybody I was shaky and I would Google diabetes and, you know, Google all these, <laughs> all these different eat. things and all this kind of stuff. And, and I remember, you know, six months over, I'm like holding my hand out and I'm not shaking. And I'm like, holy shit. I didn't know there was like such thing as like physically addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like you asked me like, what, how, how'd you know it was time to go to AA? Like I didn't, I had no idea. You know what I mean? Like I, I was feeling what I was feeling. I was suicidal. I was drinking too much. I had done detox twice, walked into one detox, blew a 0.43. Um, and, and, and finally it was time and and a government funded treatment center had a bed open. Right. And so I went and I detoxed for eight days and and stayed for 14 Mm -hmm. after that. And, and, and on the 12th day I was, I was out, right. I was ready to go. I called my mother, convinced her it was time, said, I swear to God, I will never drink again. She was silly enough to believe me or whatever you want to say she was on her way to pick me up and and this chick walks into the the treatment center and it's AA night they would rotate between AA and NA speakers and um because we didn't leave it was you know gated it was a gated you know you you had to like have a they brought you there yeah Yeah. you know what I mean and this chick comes in the first identification I ever experienced was she you could tell she was gay you know what I mean and so I was like okay cool she's gay she's my age I'll be a little open-minded, I guess, listening to this, right? And she gets up there, and she has six months sober, maybe. And she talks about, you know, she talks about her drinking, and she talks about how, you know, and I, I can't even remember her drinking and her using. I can't really remember that at all. But she talks about how she's in an Oxford house. And we had just done, like, a little seminar on Oxford houses the day before, and I was like, fuck that, never going to do that. Like, I'm not going to any halfway home. I'm way better than, than that, you know? But she, she talked about how she lived in this Oxford house, and with six other women and they were all her best friends and they were they had they had a blast and they went to meetings together and they hung out together and they you know whatever whatever they had this this unity and and all I could think of is that's that's 
that's all I've ever wanted. You know what I mean? Like I, that's all I've ever really had. I mean, I've, 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 I've always had friends and I was always, I've always been a social person and all that kind of stuff. And she was, she was saying that you could do this while you were being sober, clean and sober. And they all lived in the house and it was, yeah, they had some rules and yeah, they had to do some chores and, and yeah, you know, like you go to a meeting every day and blah, blah, blah. But like, really, you know, it was like six roommates, you know what I mean? And I was like, holy shit. I called my mom that night and was like, hey, I think I'm going to stay the rest of the two days. And that, that chick was my sponsor for the first two years. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. that's great. But, yeah, so when I got out, you right? Were open. You, were, you were open. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I... To hear, her, to hear her message. I was that night for whatever reason. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, well, I know the reason now. And, I mean, I call that God. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and that's another thing. That, that chick, she... Well, first, let me, let me say, I... Um, I, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I don't love being a sponsor, right? And there's all kinds of things I can tell you I do wrong when I sponsor. I get invested too much. I build resentments. I, I don't know how to talk about God to anybody because I'm afraid that I will push them away. But what's funny is that like, I, you know, at this point I'm, I'm, I'm saying I don't, I'm telling everybody I don't believe in God, you know, before, way before I got sober because, you know, God, it's just easier to say I don't believe in God to think that God doesn't like what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I'm telling everybody. And and that first sponsor I had, she never once asked for my permission. She never once, you know, just like did like a thing, like said that like, hey, we're gonna do God, we're gonna talk about God. What are your feelings on God? She just literally just would take my hand and she would pray, mm-hmm. and she would take my hand and she would pray at, before every single time we met and after every single time we met. And she would talk about God. She didn't ask my permission. And then next thing I know, <laughs> I'm doing the same thing. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't know why I find it hard to talk to other people about God. but uh, That's brilliant because yeah. what she was doing was not talking to you about God. She was giving you her experience mm-hmm. of God. And it was attractive. You find your own. It was attractive. Because nobody can argue. If I talk about my experience of a higher power, nobody can argue with me about whether it's whether my experience is real or not. I mean, they can, they've got to say, well, what you're saying happened to you was, didn't really happen. Well, they're welcome to do that, but mm-hmm. m- most people aren't going to do that. Right. And but a whole different thing, though, if I start telling people about what God wants for them and mm-hmm. what God is going to do for them, and that's sort of the thing, the sort of things that I've experienced and recoiled against from preachers and. Yeah. Uh, television evangelists. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, evangelists. That yeah. kind of thing is... Well, it's, it's spirituality versus... I mean, that's what I found whenever I got here with spirituality. You know, it, it wasn't... You know, everything I have seen in my life as far as, like, different ways of worshiping and believing God and what God thinks and what God says and, you know, yabba da this was just complete spirituality on a whole different level. No one told me what I had to believe. It's like you just said. Right. It's, you know, I got to see what other people were doing, and then I realized, oh, I can figure this out on my own. You know, what your God looks like can be totally different from yours because you're two totally different people, mm-hmm. and that's exactly the way that it's supposed to be. You know, and and that takes some getting used to, especially when you come oh. from you know, for the most part, it's the from opposite a world. of of a lot of religion. It's the opposite of religion. It's, it's, that it's not an organized thing, you know, to have a room full of one hundred people. Like I was in a meeting the other night, someone was picking up forty years, and it was standing room only, and every person in that room had a different concept of God, and and I, maybe there were a few people in the room who had no concept of God. I don't know, but I can tell you, everyone in that room 
had their own God, which is so cool. Yeah. It's just, it is very attractive, like yes. you said. But, but you know, AA, I, I grew up as a Christian, right? And, you know, we're... What denomination? Non-denominational. Uh-huh. And, you um, grew up non-denominational Christian. That's what this this church that I mainly... I don't even know what that means. I really couldn't tell you, but that's literally what was in the title of the church. Oh. And um, they had this thing called so a hell a house. So Protestant. Protestant church. Yeah. Oh, oh, you, yeah. Hell house. Hell house. And you would walk in. It would be around Halloween time. And you'd walk in. And I would act in it, right, every year as a kid. And and it would be like the first scene would be, you know, like um, a guy uh, dead because of a, a drunk driver hit him. And the next scene would be a school shooting. And the next scene would be like a, a sick man in beds in a, in a bed because he has AIDS because he's a homosexual. Oh my gosh. And the next scene would be an abortion. And then at the end it'd be like, what do you choose? Heaven or hell? And, and you would go through the hell and this scary fucking place. And then you'd go to this bright room with all these pretty girls as angels and, and like all this kind of, and it was like... Cupcakes. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, right? No, that yeah. would... Or I, donuts is what I would prefer. <laughs> but, like, but yeah, and like, so this is the kind of shit I grew up with. Like six things that like I think totally different of yeah. now especially, but even even then, you know what I mean, and but now I I I I don't I'm not a member of a church, but I boy do I love walking into a church, and I could leave after the first thirty minutes after that worship, I could leave. I fuck listening to the pastor honestly, but that that worship and that unity that those people have and that music playing, I cry every single time. Well, how did you? So you were talking, and you threw around the word God just liberally there for five minutes there. Mm-hmm. Did you have problems using the word God? Mm. Um, I, I went to a lot of... Did you have struggle with God in, in AA? I mean, 100%. I, I mean, I went, I went to NA meetings a lot at first. I was in Oxford House. So, like, uh, I didn't have a license, and it's predominantly NA. And, and in NA, they, they are really big on it's a spiritual non-religious program. And they're really big on saying higher power, like to the point where they might correct you if you say God. That's what I noticed. You didn't yeah. say higher, higher power right. once. And so I, I loved that at first. And especially like when I would feel the need to explain myself to other people, I, was, I wasn't about to tell them that I was loving God. You know what I mean? Because I would just embarrass myself from what I had told them the past decade. Uh, <laughs> but I had this higher power for sure. You know what I mean? But... No, now I don't have any problem saying the word God. And my God is the same God I've always had. I just have a different perspective on, I, I mean, just everything. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. God's, I mean, God's it. I mean, I've been resting on my laurels for fucking eight months now. The only reason I'm still sober is because of God and step one. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. What's an example of how your higher power keeps you sober? You say that's the only reason you're sober. How is that possible? What is it? Little things like this. So let me tell you a story. So I was I was in Key West, Florida, and um, I mean in Key West. I mean you walk down the street, everybody's drunk, right? I was with my, yeah. my girlfriend and 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 her family. Her I daddy. used to live in Key West. Oh, good God, God bless your soul, because that that shit. <laughs> I, was I, I drunk. don't know. Oh, okay. Well, then that's a hell of a time. But um, so we're in Key West, and I um, couldn't handle it anymore. Everybody was drunk. Everybody around me was drunk. People I was with were drunk, and and I was. I was going to get drunk. I had made up my mind. And um, I, I went to the bar, 
and I was about to order a drink and I excused myself that I was going to go smoke a cigarette. That's how, that was my out, right? And so I went to the bar and not one of those fucking bartenders would give me the time of day. I mean, I, I would try to make eye contact. I mean, there was a point, there was a window of opportunity for these ladies. I had, I had a hundred dollar bill in hand, you know, like, hey, give me a drink kind of thing. Nobody would Why? give me the time. I have no idea. Why? You, you tell me. You tell me. That's only God, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's that's never happened to me in a bar before. <laughs> never. I am the first person they go to, most of the time because they know me from before, and I would tip outrageously just because it was my profession that's and wild. that kind of but nobody would give me the time of day so I'm freaking the fuck out and I go outside and I go to call somebody and I'm like fuck this I'm not doing this I'm not calling anybody I just need to chill out and I look across the street and there's some jewelry shop across the street and on the wall in big letters are A-R-C-A and that is the name of the treatment center I went to, which was absolute hell, by the way. I mean, if, if anything kept me sober in the first six months, it was so I never have to fucking go back there. You know what I mean? People talk mm-hmm. about treatment being awesome. They wish they could live there. Like, absolutely not my experience. You know what I mean? It was hell. <laughs> and, and on the wall, A-R-C-A, and I Googled this shit. There is, there is nothing I can find. No jewelry shop. I have no idea if it was a type of jewelry. I have no idea why those letters were on the wall. That's God. There's no other explanation. And so you decided not to drink? Yeah, hell no, I didn't drink. You let go of it. I let go. I mean, it reminded me of step one. You you ask your guests all the time. Hold on. She's a fangirl. (laughs) Yeah, by the way, I listen to this podcast religiously most of the time on the treadmill. I also think that you really do belong here. And the reason I say that is because you walked in with not one, two drinks. From Starbucks. (laughs) You've got got water and you've got got iced coffee. coffee. And you're just like me. I've like... just because I'm sober and I quit drinking doesn't mean I'm not thirsty. Thank you. I'm very thirsty. Very thirsty. All the time. Everybody get a drink here. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking my water. Cheers. Ah. I've had entirely too much coffee today. Ah. I love Jackie's Where energy. were we? I was gonna. I was gonna say that God and Key West. God and Key West, and that. I mean, that is one. I mean, that's just one thing that comes to my head. That's God. I mean, I. I. I, I can tell you another story. I was in the Oxford house and I bicycled to an ABC store because fuck this, I'm going to drink. My sponsor kept telling me I could start my day over at any time. Well, fuck you because that is not possible because if I could do that, I would do it by now, right? I can't start my day over. It's literally like like scientifically <laughs> impossible. Like, it's 8 know, o'clock at all. night. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I bicycled to an ABC store. And I go up to the ABC store, and they and I, and I was a I was an airplane bottle drinker. Okay, I, I I can go into depths about that, but I was an airplane bottle drinker, and it was this drink called Firefly is what I would drink because. Where do you get airplane bottles? Every ABC store, yeah, you you they ABC sell them in a sleeve, oh, you get them twelve ABC. pack. Yeah, or you could get uh, them at little wine okay. bottles. But yeah, you can get this the cheap kind. Yeah, I didn't drink. <laughs> These were seventy five cents a bottle, and okay. and you poured. Of course, I did it measured with water. You would pour. The entire 12 into a fifth of Firefly, and it almost filled it up. But these were 75 cents, and a fifth was $22. So I didn't. I always got airplane bottles, right? So I go to this bicycle safety store. Oh fuck yeah! You got. I mean, you got to save money. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I drank cheap wine. Yeah, thank you. Four dollar bottle. Wine. I don't know how people do the wine. Yeah. How do you stay drinking? So wine? it's different. Okay, go on with go airplane bottles. I go and and I and I go to the cash register and. Because you have to, they're behind the counter, airplane bottles are, you can't just go grab them. And I was like, you know. Shopliftable. Right, yeah. exactly. And I was like, can I get a sleeve, which is 12 airplane bottles, um, a Firefly? 
And he's going back there and he's looking. He's like, we don't have those, you know, like the mini bottles. We got a fifth on the aisle, blah, blah, blah. But I was so superstitious. If I bought a fifth, I, you know, I got a DUI. If I bought a fifth, I, I wrecked my car. If I got a fifth, I argued with my girlfriend. Like, so I, I would never get a fifth. But and, a sleeve. But a sleeve, sleeve was, was okay. okay. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not kidding. I blamed anything but the booze. But, that makes sense to me. Right. Oh, it totally and, does. And he's like, well, we don't have it. I'm like, no, will you please check? You didn't check this cabinet. You didn't check this cabinet. And he's, and he, and he's getting annoyed with me. And so finally, I'm just like, fuck it. And I leave. And a bicycle, you know, and the reason why I'm mad at this time is because my girlfriend and I are split up because we split up, you know, so I can get sober and it ended up being a very healthy thing. I wouldn't have done a lot of things I did, but we were arguing that day and I would even say, go as far as saying I first got sober to maybe potentially build that relationship back up. I mean, it's not why I stayed around, but that was one of the top four reasons, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, and so, you know, of course I'm just like, whatever. So I, I, so there were consequences that had happened to you from drinking. That's the, that's the. I, I'm now I'm the luckiest unlucky person alive, but yes, there was, there were, pl- I would have never got sober if there were no consequences. Okay. Amen. One, I don't understand how people do, but that's not any of my business, but I leave this, this ABC store, I get on my bike and I bike to the clubhouse in, in Greensboro and I get there like 10 minutes late. And the fucking topic is I, from what I'm gathering, difficult women or difficult relationships. And Wait it a turn, minute. It turns out you're it's a men's bi- meeting. You're biking. From the ABC store to an AA meeting. Yes. So you'd been going to AA? Yes. I was about six months sober in the house, in the Oxford house. And you just decided, screw it, I'm getting drunk, and you're going to try and buy it? Didn't happen. It didn't happen. So then you go to an AA meeting? Yep. And the topic is difficult relationships. It's a men's meeting. And, okay, <laughs> and the other... <laughs> and, uh, and in Key West, you were going to AA? Yep, I was about. I was and over you a decided year sober. to drink. Yep. So how many times did you decide to drink and not drink? Come that close to drinking in sobriety? I can't tell you how many times. I really can't. Maybe, a lot. I mean, that's. I mean, quite quite a few, one hundred percent. But step one, and God or step one, you know what I mean? Because when it really comes down to it, say what how step one applies mm-hmm. to that. Because I will never be able to drink like my fellows. I am completely Wait, step powerless. Step one is I am we com- admitted we're yeah. powerless <laughs> over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Step one is where we say we're an alcoholic, Don. 100%. 100%. Four well, step. I mean, duh, you're an alcoholic. Right. How does that help you? It helps me because if I really believe that I'm an alcoholic and my life is unmanageable, that means if I take that first drink, people talk about cravings all the time. It says, it, there's no such thing as cravings until it hits your system, right? So I will have a mental problem. Exactly. My mind will go absolutely bonkers until I drink more and until I drink more until I pass out. When I wake up, I will feel so hopeless, so guilty. So I will have so much anxiety. And the only thing to do is to drink, right? That's it. And it's that, it's that cycle. And that's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's what we all have. At what point did it quit happening to you that you needed to be saved by your higher power at the moment of getting drunk. Like a time frame or just like a... Yeah, like, yeah, how, like how long were you sober before? You're describing being at the precipice yeah. of getting drunk. Yeah. Well, why, let me ask you this really quick. So is, it, is this unheard of to you? Like, I, it I didn't feel- happen to me. Once I came into AA... There were two or three times where I wanted, there were t- lots of times where I wanted to drink, but there was no way I was going to get near alcohol 
I didn't come close to going to an ABC store or going and buying wine or going and buying beer. I didn't get close to that. I think things happened for me that it, it intervened before then. Mm-hmm. One, one time, at, it was right before a funeral. That was probably, in, I was two years sober, and I really wanted to get drunk rather than go to this funeral for my wife's brother and, and sister-in-law who died suddenly in a plane crash. Mm. And I talked to my sponsor. I talked to uh, all kinds of people in AA. I brought it up at meetings. I was talking about it. I wanted to drink so bad. And finally, I talked to someone on the phone, and she said, sometimes I think we feel like if we were to really allow this feeling to come out and we were to really feel it, that it would kill us, and the grief in particular. Oh, yeah. And it won't kill you. You can feel it. And when she said that, I was just like, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can walk through it. And I managed, and then I went to the funeral, and right before the funeral, there were people gathered around, and the first thing that happened was I was introduced to a cousin who was in AA, hmm. and we started talking about AA, and it was gone. That was the closest I came. I never got to, like, go into mm-hmm. yeah. the liquor store. So, I mean, that's amazing to me. Were to, you going to meetings? I, I mean, just to be blunt, were you, were you going to meetings and being honest in meetings about this? About my... About wanting to drink so bad that you were going to places where you could get alcohol? The, the first time I ever was honest yeah. was was uh the day after i went to that bike to the abc store okay at I the men's in, meeting no yeah yeah <laughs> i went to the men's meeting but i went to lunch uh, to the 12, uh, noon meeting the next day and i i said you know i told i told him what happened you know and i was like and i want to drink so bad and the guy shares after me he said well you coming into this meeting and saying that you want to drink tells me that you don't want to drink mm. and that's when i started sharing in meetings Okay, there that yeah. maybe that was it. Yep. You yeah. weren't sharing in the meetings, oh, so no. you weren't allowing yourself to be known. No, I mean I was talking to my sponsor like crazy. I was talking to the women around me like crazy, but no, you know. But when I look back and, and me not sharing in those meetings or me not being a big part of we have a young people's thing here and me not being a big part of that because I hid out in women's meeting for the most part for that first year. I really did. You know, I always think it as a as a humbling experience because I've I've always been the center of attention. I've always talked to, talked to anybody. I mean, just like every true crime podcast, I've never <laughs> met a stranger. Um, you know, like all those all those kinds of things. And and you know, I've always like I said, I've had friends and all this kind of stuff and me not being a big white par or me not you know like sharing and means and all that kind of stuff it was it was almost kind of exactly what I needed at that point you know what I mean and I, and like I understand shut up and that listen we, shut up and listen you know and I and well, I truly that, I did understand that yeah understand that but you're ending up at ABC stores correct correct you know I'm I've, still blown away though that this seems surprising to you because I, I I feel like I know so many people with these kind of same experiences I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, I also feel like I'm very grateful also that I have been around alcohol so much. And, you know, take that as you will. You know, I'm in a relationship with somebody who is not an alcoholic. And now we, we don't have alcohol in our house, but she smokes pot every day. You know, that kind of stuff. And she definitely drinks on the weekends when she wants to. And, that you know, you know she, my, she can do whatever she wants. My wife drinks. Right? But like, and you she know, can drink, and she doesn't drink the way right. I drink. Right. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, I went to every family gathering, you know, fully expecting that everybody was going to be drunk as shit. And they were. And 
And, you know, I, I'm grateful for it. You know, like I don't, I think it's kind of like the preacher's daughter, right? And, you know, she, she stays at home and she, she goes to church and she, she has all these expectations on her. She turns 18, she goes to college and she fucking goes buck wild. And I think that if I would have hid out for a long time and really just kept myself from anything, I think that I would have, I would have drank as mm-hmm. soon as it, as the experience happened. You know what I mean? And I don't know, I don't know shit. You know what I mean? Like I really don't know shit, but that, that's, that's my experience. And, and it's, it's worked so far, you know. I've, mm-hmm. I've, since I've known about AA, I've yet to to sip alcohol. Mm. Well, okay, I'm still want to analyze it. <laughs> so, do you think that you quit having? There's nothing unusual about an alcoholic wanting to drink. My sponsor said that the miracle of AA is every day that an alcoholic doesn't, doesn't drink. drink. Yeah, yeah. So, there's nothing surprising, even at 25 years that if it were to occur to me to drink and I'd feel like that I want to drink because I'm an alcoholic and that it, that will happen. What's different is the, the what, how I deal with that. Right. So when was it at about a year that you began to deal with it by not going to the ABC store? Right. Like before that point. You used to deal with the urge before the point of going to the ABC store. Because yeah. I think that that's I think that's a big deal. Um, you know, and oh gosh, I'm, I'm very annoyed with myself that I'm about to say this, but yeah, I mean, if you really, th- if I really think back, when, when did it come start happening before then afterwards it was probably when I started reading a big book out loud with another alcoholic, you know, it was probably when I am helping guiding somebody through the 12 steps and reminding myself and saying out loud what has been told to me before saying it out loud to say to somebody else, saying it out loud to someone else makes it real. 100%. One hundred percent. Damn, I need a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says you know nothing, and and this used to just drive me crazy because I definitely went through a period of time, and anyone listening to this might laugh saying you went through it. I might still be going through it, but no, where I just didn't, I didn't want to sponsor anybody. I have too much shit going on, you know. And truth of the matter was, there was a lot of crap going on that I wasn't dealing with, and it got me to a really, really horrifying point in sobriety. It says nothing can ensure immunity or so much. You know, I can't quote that damn as, big book. As working, as with, working another, with another alcoholic. You quoted it. And then, you know, I, I would hear my sponsor get up and, you know, you hear you hear sponsors all the time get up and say, you give your sponsee their chip. You're helping me more than I helped you. And I'd be like, I have no idea what the hell they're talking about until I really started sponsoring, especially after all of that happened. And, I mean, I tell you what. There is something about it. There is something about making that connection, but there's also something to be said, I think, for me about relation, relation with that person. And I'll, I'll never forget one of the first girls I sponsored. See, now it's all coming back to me, the women that I sponsored. But I had something happen before I got sober, a lot of shame involved. Um, whole lot of shame. And I remember when I got here and I got enough time under my belt and, you know, my sponsor would tell me that your biggest mistakes are going to be your greatest assets. The things you used to feel shame for are, you're going to be able to help another woman with that. And one of my very first sponsees came to me one day. Yeah. She came to me and she told me 
exactly what I had gone through that she was going through. And I called my sponsor freaking out. I was oh, like, yeah. you're never going to fucking believe this. Because you're able and to say. And it was say, like, there it is. I know. I know. I've been there. And here. And here it is. And it was, oh, it's giving me goosebumps and right now. The, and the other person can mm-hmm. can hear you because it's real. And there might be a little bit of hope. Even a little bit of hope in that. And I think there's, there's fucking something about the the humbleness, the humility, or whatever. When we can really get so, and I'm trying, I'm trying not to be all preachy. We can get so far out of ourselves and give a shit about helping another person that we can just want to give them a little bit of hope. That just does something to you, man. There, there's something better in that feeling than there ever was in any bottle I ever drank in ten years. High as hell. Yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, it really is. It's I mean, I, I mean, I, and to I hate to say that. Recover, but right, you, to but see people is. recover. I just, I went off on my tangent. Hang on, oh. let me get my soapbox and put it <laughs> back in the corner. That's a, that's a good tangent. <sighs> Boy, Jackie, I could talk to you all day, but the owl is itching. It's time for our old timers question. Who are you looking at? Are you calling me an? Old timer? Yes. Well, That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Missy. <laughs> you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. Do we have a question for the old timer? How do you deal with loss and sobriety? We touched on this we a little bit earlier. What do you mean? How do you deal with death? How do you deal with death in sobriety? Do we have to talk about this? Mm. Oh, yes. Death is a part of life. It happens to everyone, I understand. It's a hard question. Yeah. I know how you don't deal with it. Maybe a better question. Yeah. (laughs) I spoke about my um, brother and sister-in-law who died in a plane crash, and I wanted to drink. I was anxious and upset, and I talked to my sponsor, as I should, and he said, you're going to the discussion meeting at noon tomorrow. I want you to jump in and bring this up as a topic, first thing. Be the first one to share. I was going, I don't want to do that. It's going to bring everybody down, make the whole meeting about me. And he said, do it. I want you to do it. You'll get a lot of experience and it'll be good for you. So, okay, I'm going to follow. And I didn't want to do it. But I, I did. As soon as they said, does anybody have a topic? I jumped in and I sh- shared that they had died. And I was dealing with it. But I was, I, I shared that how hard it was. Well, the whole room was silent for a minute. And then this old timer, Richard G., was the first person who spoke, he broke the silence and he said, I was just sitting here thinking what a selfish, self-centered, miserable drunk you'd have if you were to start drinking right now. And I went, good God! (laughs) Good Lord. That is rude. Yeah. Uh, No. (laughs) And harsh. And true. it it was. It was completely true. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, it's the only thing I remember from the meeting. You know, that's been 23 years now. Mm Mm-hmm. But I remember that because it cut through everything. And I did think about that that day when I wanted to drink so bad. It was one of the things I kept thinking was, it's not going to work. 
It's not going to work. I, it's not going to, I'm going to be miserable. And, you know, it's going to, of course it's going to be selfish. How is that going to help my wife who's lost her brother if I'm drunk at the funeral? Mm-hmm. Which would be the most natural thing in the world for me to do is to be drunk. So that's one way you don't deal with it. I've got to find another way to deal with the things that go wrong in the world. And I did it by talking to my sponsor, bringing it up in meetings and talking about it, sharing with other people and allowing myself to be known. Mm -hmm. And by allowing myself to be known, I was able to get the person who helped me, who said that we feel like that it will kill us if we allow ourselves to feel this grief, but it won't kill us with someone who had, she had lost her son. So she was able to share with me mm-hmm. in a way that my sponsor shared all everything great, and mm-hmm. it was not touching. It was driving me crazy because I was talking to him. I had lunch with him on the day, and I, and I left the lunch going, I want a drink. That, I mean, it doesn't, I, he's saying <laughs> stuff, but he's just, he's just saying what needs to be said. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't cutting through. And, it cut through to me when she shared that because she had been through it. Relation. Just like you talked about, Miranda. It was it was the gold. No one could touch me, but she could because she had been there. Mm-hmm. And it's like I found myself in a hole, and she was like, I've been in that hole, and mm-hmm. here's the way out. Follow yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And none of that would have happened if I hadn't been in the middle of AA. Mm-hmm. Seeking a higher power, talking to my sponsor, talking to other trusted friends within the program, sharing in meetings, letting myself be known. I was I can get through anything. What about you, Jackie? I haven't had to deal with death in AA. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I don't think I've really ever dealt with death. So mm-hmm. you don't have experience with it then. I mean, you know, I've I've seen other addicts die. In sobriety? In sobriety, which made it to my resentment list, actually. Well, so you dealt with that by making a resentment list. What are you talking about, doing an inventory? 100%. Resentment um, with the person who passed? Yeah, just more so I came to this fucking program to get sober, and I have to fall in love with different people. Not even fall in love, but even just become acquainted and watch them die. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this, you know, that kind of thing, because mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't surrounded by this many drug abusers at once before, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, or, mm-hmm. or they sure as hell weren't dying, you know, that kind of thing. Um, well, it's a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I haven't, no, I mean, not really, like, it ever dealt with Yeah, but you, oh, you did answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Miranda? Yeah, you heard my story, you know, that when I walked in the door, I had just lost someone that I really loved, not even three weeks before, and that had to learn. Was that one of the reasons you came to AA? Uh, That was a slingshot to the bottom that brought me to AA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was hard because I had to learn how to grieve without drinking, still knee-deep in the middle of grief, which was um, because I stayed drunk. I drank the morning of the funeral, at the funeral, driving to the cemetery, and on the way home from the funeral, I had a thermos of wine. And it wasn't working. Oh, hell no. I mean, I, f- I felt simultaneously everything and dead all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you're able to feel pain and nothing at the same time, but somehow I was able to do that. 
that was one of the things I was really most angriest about whenever I got here is I was expected to continue to grieve this loss and not have my coping mechanism at the same time. So I don't really remember how I did that. I remember my running buddy at the time, I would sit in my car with her and she would just let me scream. I would just scream and cry. She just let me scream and cry. Cause that, at that point that was all I could do is just like, you know, get stuff out um, and talk to people about it. Yeah, but that's what that's my friend was talking about was mm-hmm. you have to feel it. Yeah. You've got to feel Oh, and I hadn't been. Yeah. The the three weeks leading up to it where I was living and, and breathing out of a bottle, I was stuffing it as far down as humanly possible and trying to kill it. Because you don't want to feel it. I didn't want to feel it. I could I couldn't I could not handle feeling that loss. And then you know, it here I am and I'm feeling everything. I'm not just feeling his death. I'm feeling everything at this point because I'm sober. And I remember, you know, just I would ask these questions to people in AA who I was getting to know different people and different women. I was being honest. You know, I was I was stupidly being honest all the time. I just cried all the time. I, I feel like I cried my entire first year. And I would be like, I want to know why. I want someone to tell me why. Like, why is he dead? And I remember the answer from somebody being, the why is never going to make it okay. You're never going to get an answer that's going to make this okay. So, you know, it wasn't stop asking. It was just like, the answer that you're looking for is never going to fix this. So stop looking for it. And um, there's been other loss in AA. And out of AA, I mean, I lost my stepmother uh, several years ago, and she had been ill for a long time. And I've lost family members. I've lost friends in AA. You know, I lost someone um, recently. And if I've learned anything, it's just we all grieve differently. Your way of grieving isn't going to be my way. Um, But if we can just continue to be honest about it, if I can continue to be honest about it and not stuff it, because life on life's terms is death is part of life. Sometimes it's unnatural because of how old they are or how it happens, but it's just a part of life. And I think one of the things about death is it's such a pain. It's such a pain that we are not used to experiencing every day. So it's like I have one of my best friends lost her father recently, and I have another friend who lost her mother recently. And the one thing I heard from both of them is how AA just, surrounded them just their their network their friends their people in AA just never just have held on to them from the get-go and there's just such a huge amazing loving support network here if you just put yourself in it yeah um and that can really help to be a saving grace because again it's not going to kill us if we feel it but it can be so intense it's hard to do especially we don't have to we do don't it grieve like don't normal have- people yeah. You know, what is it? We're, we're sensitive and we don't suffer well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, so. Yeah. You know, the, uh, part of it. before that funeral, mm-hmm. all the people that I talked to mm-hmm. in AA and three or four other members of my home group, there were about 10 people at the funeral that didn't know anybody except for me. And they were there for me. That I was, I was carried by AA through yeah. that as well. It's, it can be such a, an amazing support it's just it's overwhelming sometimes because it's like we are a group of drunks we are that's what binds us a deadly disease is what binds us and there we are going to funerals there we are just being as supportive as we possibly can be 
And we are nothing more than a group of garden variety fucking alcoholics. And we do the most amazing things for each other. And that can really be overwhelming sometimes in a good way. And one of my favorite acronyms for God is group group of of drunks. drunks. Yeah. Jackie. This has been great. Thanks for Thank you. coming to the boil down. I love me. your energy. Thanks for me. <laughs> I really am your biggest fan. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I'm yeah. glad it worked out. Look out! Ah! <laughs> Wait, that sounded more like an ape. <laughs> I am blown away that you do that, and it's not a button you press on your computer. <laughs> I cannot believe this right now. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Out Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowaa.org or you can always email us at giveahoot at boiledowaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or you can always visit aa.org. Note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Well, you know, we had uh, an email. We had somebody write in and say that they liked the podcast, but drop the owl. It's the hokiest special effect. <laughs> It's not a special effect. It's it's special. I mean, I I, I always thought it was a special effect. I did love it, though. But I can't believe you do that. Well, it's just, I just like it. I think it's it's such a. I'm going to keep doing it. Yes. The boiled (laughs) owl. I, I love it.